Welcome to the State Bar of Texas podcast, your monthly source for conversations and curated content to improve your law practice with your host, Rocky Deer. Legal technology. Love it? Hate it? Fear it? Well, guys, this is Rocky Deer coming back to you here at the State Bar of Texas podcast. You know, we are here at the annual meeting 2018 in amazing Houston, Texas, and there's a lot of stuff to learn here. Technology is in the air. Everybody's talking about about different aspects of legal technology. You know, there's cybersecurity and all these types of things, and there's also artificial intelligence. Well, with our friends at the Legal Talk Network, we bring you this type of amazing content straight from the annual meeting. And somebody we we grabbed as he was walking by is my next guest. His name is Jason Smith. Those of you who have been who have been paying attention to legal technology, he's no stranger to you. Jason is one of our top thought leaders here in this state on legal technology and where it's going. Jason, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to Houston. Well, thank you. That's right. This is your hometown, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes, yes. You're, and you're welcoming a Dallas boy, which is kind of, I know that's hard for you. You're, you're grating your teeth as you say that. Well, I'm actually a Cowboys fan, if I can say that on the air. Oh, so. man. Oh, yeah. This is this is going on. You're about to lose a bunch of followers. <laughs> or and then gain, you'll, and or then gain, you'll gain some, a few. right? Yeah, and yeah. then you'll gain a few. Have you been up to the Dallas Cowboys practice field Absolutely. at the Star? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. we, we actually did a company meeting up there the week before they played Green Bay last year. So. Oh, how was that? It was fantastic. I mean, it was every little 10-year-old Cowboy fan's dream of growing up and being there. So, And the new practice arena and where they've built it. Incredible. The star is phenomenal. It is. It is really a cool place. So, well, it good. Is. We got a yeah. Houstonian who loves the Cowboys, so <laughs> we can be friends now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. yeah, we cool. can be friends now. We got, got the, we got the Cowboys handshake. joining us. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Jason, you know, you've been kind of at the forefront, I would say, of legal technology. Would you... Would you agree? I mean, that's you follow it. I, I do, and sometimes intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. Sure. Yeah. What do you think right now is the big legal technology issue that we all need to be kind of keeping our eye on? I think there are issues, and okay. I think there are sort of fears. Um, are there opportunities, too? Opportunities, well? absolutely. Okay. So I think AI... And AI is, is an umbrella term for a whole host of things. Artificial natural, intelligence. Right? Artificial intelligence. So natural language processing. We're using that uh, at our company with technology to scan contracts and be able to process the contracts, understand as a, as a human reviewer would understand contracts, but at a much faster pace, much uh, larger scale, being able to identify um, semantic parsing of, of language understanding context of language, which computers, you know, have been able to do, but not really trained. So is that like detecting humor and sarcasm or? It can, okay. it can, or, or just the difference between, for instance, if there's a document that refers to tissue, hmm. determining based on the placement of words around it, whether it's referring to a Kleenex or whether right. it's referring to soft tissue damage, okay. um, for instance, for a muscle or something like of that. Course. So. Right. So AI is big. There's a lot of different applications. And what's interesting is in our sessions, we ask people, you know, how many of you guys used AI today? And very few hands go up because they're thinking Hollywood robots, the robots that are all coming to kill us all. Right. Um, and they're forgetting that, you know, literally going through the toll road and letting the toll road uh, assess the, the number of cars that have come by, 
and adjusting the rates of the tolls. How many people um, are in your car? Exactly. Car and, right. and things like that, uh, stoplights, uh, smart technology within their cars or their mobile devices, using the Alexa and the Siri, and it's all around us. And what's really interesting is I think there's a lot of talk about a lot of these use cases where AI seems to be replacing a lot of administrative tasks, doing a lot of these duties where we'd normally have to do them, but we can't do them as fast or we can't do them as large of a scale. And then the question is, are lawyers going to lose their jobs to AI? That seems to be the, the number one question. My response to them is robots. I, I just collectively term sure, it robots. Sure, that's fine. Robots are not going to replace lawyers. Okay. However, the lawyers who embrace and leverage the AI technology will likely replace those who don't. Okay. And what I see, and, and oftentimes I have people ask me, well, you know, are these things, these mass contract legacy migration applications, um, these automated systems, are they going to replace the stuff we do today? And I think a lot of times they ask me as a loaded question, hoping I'll say, don't worry about it. Right. My response is usually, yeah. If you're doing basic administrative tasks and that's all you do, then you probably need to be replaced. What's the value add that you're providing? The technology can do some of this. Now, there's some quality questions and so on. But what I then kind of further say on that is that, you know, a lot of the technology that we're seeing rolled out, while it's replacing some activities, it's also creating whole new fields of legal issues. So think of the autonomous vehicles right. and car crashes. Who's liable? Is this a product defect? Is it a product liability for the programmers? If the program and, and they're selling their cars and they're selling them with a marketing campaign that our cars are designed not to crash, right. then, you know, let's look at the liability. Who's the, well, you have all sorts of different things now. Um, we've seen Google Duplex. I don't know if you've seen the video recently no. uh, on the web, but they're showing their new technology, which you can put like an appointment in your calendar and say, need a haircut at such and such barbershop on Friday at three o'clock. And then you can activate it and it, your, your system will actually contact that barbershop and interact with the person that answers and literally have this conversation. Hmm. And it's the AI, it's natural language processing because it's processing, it's intaking their, their comments, processing it, formulating the response based on the algorithms that have been created and then it's responding, and the person on the other end doesn't even know they're talking to a computer. They've even added in some sort of nuanced, you know, in the midst of while the other side is talking. Like slang. The computer's like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So okay. you really think you're talking to somebody. So when I first saw that, somebody posted it on LinkedIn and said, you know, here we go. This is going to replace the secretaries at the law firms, or this is going to replace certain activities of people. And I said, as a lawyer, I looked at this and said, hmm. Seems to me there's work here for lawyers because what about things like wiretapping and recording somebody else's voice because it's got to be recorded in order to be brought back into the system to process by the AI to then right. interact. Right. So to me, I see legal issues around that, which means more work for lawyers. So I'm not afraid of the new technology because I think there's whole new worlds. And that's why I say the lawyers who embrace the new technology, I think those are the ones that are going to sort of move forward with a lot of this stuff. Let's talk about two questions there. The first is, do you think the AI can commit malpractice then? If it's, <laughs> if it's learning through algorithms, can the AI commit malpractice and possibly mess up a case or mess up a matter? So therein lies kind of the heart of one of the primary questions of how much do we let the technology do for us as lawyers and how much are we on the hook for our own professional responsibility? Sure. And, and frankly, I think 
the first start is going to be if it commits malpractice or does something that would look to be malpractice, right. then whoever's driving that system, the malpractice is going to fall to them. Well, what if it's a non-lawyer? Say somebody who's, it's a technology company that has created this algorithm to replace a lawyer or replace a legal function. Right. And then that commits malpractice. You can't go after a lawyer, but there's some kind of a company or organization behind it. So I think you've hit on sort of this weird gray area in the technology. And when you ask what's popular right now, what's, yeah. what's the hot topics, I think that's one of the sort of side topics to all of this. We talk about AI, how cool it is. We think of, you know, the Avengers and we think of all the cool sure. Hollywood movies. Sure. Mostly those end up with robots killing us all. So, you know, let's... <laughs> Not so cool. And, 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 yeah, and maybe, maybe that's what we should focus on because, you know, and, and here's a real distinction. A lot of what we're talking about today and what's out in the market is called weak AI. Okay. It's nothing but a series of algorithms right. that a program has been trained. Think of a computer playing chess. Sure. It's not necessarily thinking like a human is. It's reacting to how it's been programmed, to which moves are allowed, which moves are better. Sure. It can think ahead faster than a human most times. Um, what's needed in chess. And so when you talk about strong AI, when we're getting into strong AI, that's when we start talking about the computer learning from itself and the, the computer then starting to move into that world of thinking like a human and interacting like a human. And I saw some statistics, I don't remember the exact number, but the speed at which the human brain processes information and how long it will take the computers to get to even a fraction of that processing speed. Now, they can do the quantity. Mm -hmm. They can do the large amounts sure. better than the human. But just the sheer processing. The, de um, the depth, I guess, of it, the yeah. complexity. Uh, it's not there yet. But as, as rapid as things are going, we've moved from uh, you know, CPUs to GPUs, graphical, and now you can increase the rate of speed of how much technology is, is sort of doing things, how many calculations are being done every you know millisecond. What about the community aspect of it? You know, when we get AI and we have these devices that can do more for us, say for example with that barbershop mm -hmm. example you gave. Yes, it's convenient to have an app that will call my barbershop for me. But at a certain level, it's also there's a nice human interaction you get from just <laughs> setting that appointment and talking to somebody right. and maybe joking with the person who answers the phone and having that that kind of back and forth. So do you think that there's going to be kind of a swing in the other direction as people say, look, I'm missing something from my life by not having that human contact? And I think we're already seeing it. In fact, okay. I've had the conversation with my 17-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old son. They both have mobile devices. They both play video games. They both interact with their friends through these devices. Sure. And it was actually my 17-year-old daughter about two years ago made the comment, we were out and about, and you know, we let them take the devices like a lot of families do. And while you're waiting at the restaurant, sure. you know, it keeps them busy. And they, they check whatever and social media they're using. My daughter and my son were playing a game against each other. They were chatting back and forth. They were sitting next to each other. Sure. And my daughter looks up and she said, you know what's funny? She said, back in the olden days, which I think she was referring she to was when I was to her age. Yeah. yeah back Because she did ask me, what is it like to be born in the 1900s? Which actually well, made me feel old. The 20th century. I know. <laughs> she said, uh, she said, what was really interesting was back then the world was so spread apart. Because if you wanted to talk to somebody in Tokyo or France or Australia, you had to go there and see them. And then or there was a the lot telephone. To or pay a lot for long distance. Or, or yeah. The, yeah, but even before that, it was you mm -hmm. had to go there and interact with them. And she said, now we have the ability to fly. We have the ability to, to video chat. We have the ability to interact with people no matter where they are on the planet instantly. And yet 
you see families sitting at the dinner table, all with mobile devices, not interacting with the people at the table with them. So as the world has come closer together through technology, the world has apart. gone farther apart at the individual level because of the technology. And I thought that was, that was such an interesting revelation. Your daughter is way smarter than you are. Way smarter. Yeah. She no, gets it from her mom. I mean, come on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, look, let's, let's maybe step back for a second mm-hmm. because this, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, cybersecurity was what everybody was talking about. Yeah. And, and then at some point before that, it was about social media. And it seems like we keep going through these iterations where there's some sort of technological issue that lawyers are wrangling with. And we don't necessarily understand it. We're kind of scared. We're also fascinated. Is this just part of being a lawyer? I mean, have we, have we been here before? What's, I think what's, this, what's going on here? I think there's two things in parallel. Okay. It's part of being lawyers. We're okay. slow to adopt especially newfangled technology things. Okay. Um, and so that's at play. But I think there's also just this general technology cycle or, or even innovation cycle okay. that you have the hype cycle where everybody's raving about something, whether it's out of fear or excitement. Then you have kind of the use cases come along. It doesn't quite seem you know, as cool or, or really as, as great as everybody yeah. thought. And you kind of right. have this, this trough of disillusionment, which is what sure. it's called. And then it kind of steadies out and, and people go forward. And that's what we see. But on top of that, we compound it with the fact that we lawyers are sort of slow to adopt it. So we drag that cycle out a little bit longer, both on the hype cycle and the disillusionment cycle, I think. And so we as lawyers look at it as every time something new comes up, a business person or just a, an average non-lawyer, if you will, will look at it as how does this benefit me in my life and my business and you know, increase for the better. Lawyers naturally look at things as, how is this going to screw me up? Sure. How is this going to create risk or liability in mm-hmm. my world? And so they're a little bit slower. And so you have this trough that has almost mm-hmm. like a parachute pulling it. Sure. But it's still going through the exact same cycles, which is everybody's excited. Nobody really quite knows what it is. And, and I even mentioned this yesterday in our AI session that when um, Turing and the other folks started this whole round of stuff, this was back in the 50s, okay, mind sure. you. When the term artificial intelligence was coined, they said, look, artificial intelligence is not going to be called artificial intelligence once people understand what it, once it starts working and people start using it. And what I always say is AI sounds really sexy until you know what it is. Mm. And the way I boil it down is to say, think of a Rubik's Cube. A Rubik's Cube is nothing more than a series of algorithms. Now, it took me 35 years to learn that, Mm. and now I can impress my 11-year-old with my solving skills. It only took me 1.1 billion seconds (laughs) to solve the first one, but it's nothing more than a series of algorithms. And despite the fact that there's 56 quintillion possible starting configurations of a Rubik's Cube, there are no more than 20 moves from any position that can get you to a solved puzzle. Wow. Okay. And it's algorithms. Mm. That's all it is. And that in and of itself is the root of AI and mathematics. And so when you boil it down to that, suddenly kind of all the robot stuff doesn't really sound as Hollywood-like. It doesn't sound as sexy. And then we start, once we kind of peel that onion back, then we start looking at, okay, what are the practical applications? And we've seen sort of the, the shotgun approach of everybody's coming out of the woodwork with new tools, new gadgets, you know, must-see, as-seen-on-TV kind of things everywhere you look. And some of them are going to fail, and some of them are going to hit a home run. And we're going to kind of narrow down the focus of what's real and what's not. And we're going to see more of the use cases that are realistic. And some of them that are just sort of either pie in the sky or have no real relevancy, even though they're neat. I think that's what it is. It's just that normal cycle. 
Have you seen this cycle over time? Yeah. So I'm doing a, a session this afternoon where I actually had somebody give me annual meeting brochures from the State Bar of Texas annual meeting going all the way back to 1980 every year. And when I got those, I thought, well, this is kind of neat historical. And then it got me thinking, I wonder what kind of technology sessions they were talking about way back in the olden days when I was a kid. <laughs> During the Reagan uh, administration. Exactly. Yes. Way back when. 99 red balloons. <laughs> right. So I said, well, I, I'm going to take a look through these brochures and kind of see what kind of technology topics they were talking about. And it was sort of like history smacked me in the face. Hmm. And I took all of these brochures, I took all the information, put them into a spreadsheet, and then just looked at them. And I stared at them for days. And it almost sort of came alive and started talking to me. Instead of just a bunch of lists of technology topics, I started seeing these trends. That was um, either a moment of brilliance or you were going insane. Because, uh, you know, there's a fine line. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And you were right there. It, right there. The high wire. Exactly. And, and you know, it's that fine line. And, and I think in technology and, and with legal technology, we're seeing it too. I always tell people that talented people hit the targets that nobody right. else can hit. Of course. But geniuses are the people that hit the targets nobody else can see. Right. Of course. Well, that's, that's great. And yeah. so when I started looking at these, these sessions, I started realizing that there was sort of this cycle of here's new technology. Here's the fear. Here's the ethics and res professional responsibility. Now here's how we use it in practice. And then it would be another set of whether it was using a computer, using email to communicate with clients. I remember hey, the email. This thing. is awesome. This is great. And then it was, oh, wait a second. Professional responsibility. Be right. careful what you do. Now it's, you know, okay, why should you not be communicating with, or why should you be communicating with, uh, sure. with clients and email and then social media? And then I think the cybersecurity was sort of a big wrapper around all of it, which is, okay, now we've just got data flowing everywhere. Sure. We got to be careful about it. Now we've got AI, which is, okay, we've got all of this data. We kind of know we're being careful because we have the cybersecurity stuff. But now all this data can fuel all of this AI stuff. And so I think we're going to go through this whole nother cycle where it's, this is all awesome. And we're seeing the second part of that cycle now, which was the first part, look at all these tools. Look somebody's developed an app that lets people fight their own traffic tickets. And the beauty of a lot of this is they're arguing, leverage these apps for access to justice. Right. Think about bringing the technology to these people that couldn't otherwise afford to hire an attorney. Or they're distance-wise. They, they get pulled over someplace yeah. far away from home. And it's it's a brilliant strategy to, to sell AI. Sure. Some of it's probably legitimate. Some of it's probably just latching on to an idea. How are you going to argue against access to justice for some of these tools? Hmm. Then you get the realization of, well, let's talk about malpractice. Let's talk about why you need a lawyer to help you in this situation or need some specifics. And we go through this new round of, well, let's look at all of this data that's out there and all this technology. And what's interesting now is people are starting to look at the AI and starting to look at the biases inherent in AI. Mm -hmm. Well, it depends on who built the algorithms, who's feeding the information, what information. So I don't know if you remember, about two years ago, Microsoft actually messed around with a chat bot on Twitter. And it was all I, AI driven. I remember that, yes. It was all AI driven. And it started responding to people. Well, mm. if you spend any time on Twitter, you know it's, for lack of a better term, just a cesspool of commentary right. and, sure. and, and social media. And what happened was this chat bot started learning from the interactions it was having. Well, somehow it started interacting with groups that were like neo-Nazi and some oh, of these wow. real like far out there um, hate groups. And it started picking up and becoming conversational in that same lingo. They had to shut wow. it down. Okay. It wasn't so much that it got smart. 
on its own, like we think of in the Hollywood movies. It was just programs that were designed to take in what it was receiving, analyze it, and then respond to it. But its data set was something that was mired in hate groups. Exactly. As to and it just sort of veered that way and then exponentially wow. you know, got bigger. We see it, too, in a lot of the new AI. In order to have AI, you have to have data at the beginning. Okay, so sure. you've got these systems. If you've lost your password and you fill right. in a capture, you say, pick which of these have a picture of a cat on it. Right. You're training the system to identify things visually in that respect versus natural language processing. Right. And so you're training the system. And so now we've got, you know, 7 billion people on the planet that are all training technology and it's exponentially growing faster and faster. But what's happening is people have inherent biases, whether they understand them or not. And what happened is some of these examples, they took just historical documents, just like historical American governmental documents, Mm. fed them into a system and said, we're going to crank out AI and, and do some things with this. And what happened was you started seeing inherent biases in the language that was used, and you started getting different results from the output of the system, which nobody because expected. The lang- because the language that was used in those previous eras. And not even just the language, but sometimes just the proximity of certain words to other words okay. created this sort of inherent bias that flowed then and exponentially grew okay. as the output increased with the AI. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating Which then time. brings us back to what happens when the AI system either is biased or commits a mistake or what have you, and then it starts to feel back into that cycle you just talked about, exactly. right? And then you, you get to an equilibrium point until the next big <laughs> issue comes up. Is that- I posted an article on Twitter yesterday, and it was, it was about this new app that's coming out called Text-A-Lawyer. Oh. And he's selling it as the Uber model for legal advice. So it's and it's something I've seen before when the internet was early on, which was a whole I asked bunch for a lawyer to take me to the airport the other day, but <laughs> then I got the invoice and it was too much. Yeah, it was yeah. too expensive. Sometimes it might be cheaper than Uber. I don't know. You never know. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> but anyway, they um, I put that up there and uh, had some people saying, you know, okay, this seems like it's fraught with issues of malpractice and how is this going to be financially viable for the attorneys if they're charging a certain amount in the company, the app, and so on and so forth. And I sort of cynically responded, but then realized maybe it wasn't so cynical. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go out and create an app that's going to then respond to all of the ethics inquiries and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, represent me in front of the uh, the bar ethics committee when my app goes haywire <laughs> on this system. And so there's always an app answer. I think we're just as muddled in stuff now as we were you know, in 1999, wondering what Y2K was going to bring us, you know. So I guess the takeaway maybe for some, for some young lawyers or even more seasoned lawyers is not so much to fear AI, but to understand it maybe and to see where there might be opportunities and to try to take a more measured approach. It's exactly the, right. I mean, okay. you take it like you would approach anything in legal. Don't fear it. Just ignoring it doesn't make it go away and doesn't help you. But if you can understand it and embrace it, I mean, think about making your legal arguments. It, mm-hmm. e- even if you don't think it's necessarily something that you can completely understand, figure out a way to understand it the best way you can and embrace it. And enlist others. That's what I do. I don't do this alone. I mean, I've got a whole group of people that I lean on, a network of experts and guys like yourself. and Like some, me? Like you, yeah. Oh, well, uh, th- now, you're, now you're suspect. <laughs> and, now you're absolutely and, suspect. And, you know, a lot of these guys and in, in, uh, gals in the, the state bar network and, and around the, the country in different groups that they're way smarter than me. And, you know, some of the stuff they've got figured out way before I do. And then I just piggyback on their great thoughts. 
Wow. Well, Jason, this this sounds like an entire conference in and of itself about AI. So, you know, we want to thank you for coming here, spending a few minutes just kind of giving us a sense of not only what it is and how AI works, but also maybe giving us a little bit of comfort that (laughs) this isn't the end of lawyers. This is just maybe the next the next evolution or adaptation in legal practice. That's right. I think we're finally starting to learn to walk upright. Well, good. Yeah, hey, that's, there are times your feet hurt. You just, you're like, I'm just going to crawl. At these conferences, I'm just going to crawl. I'm going to crawl out of here. Well, you know, look, Jason, thank you for being here with us. Let's certainly thank Jason Smith for his time and his wisdom. And, you know, this has been another fantastic episode of the State Bar of Texas podcast. We want to thank our friends, the Legal Talk Network. If you want to learn more about our, our podcast, be sure to check out LegalTalkNetwork.com. We also ask you to go in and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. You know, Jason just just walked us through this evolution and this journey through time of legal technology. And it just goes to show you that life is a journey, folks. So we want to thank you for tuning in. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Go to texasbar.com slash podcasts. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find both the State Bar of Texas and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, the State Bar of Texas, Legal Talk Network, or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, or subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.